Addiction during pregnancy is such a traumatic situation for everyone involved, the mother, the baby, other family and friends, and a lot of people can't understand why pregnant women can't put an end to their addictions. Is it a choice? The problem comes with judgment, fear, and a medical and mental health crisis. But not only is there hope for these women who are suffering and their babies, there's a solution and a grace that comes with learning about these women and their stories and how this problem can affect any racial or economic group of women. In fact, it's the grace program at Women's Hospital that is changing hundreds of lives, lives of babies and mothers without judgment, and it's only one of a few of its kind in the United States. That's in today's Unprivate Parts podcast. Welcome to Unprivate Parts, a podcast hosted by Women's Hospital. Join us as we pull back the proverbial curtain with honest discussions on women's health and the uncomfortable subjects we all want answers to. Welcome to the Unprivate Parts Podcast. I'm Melanie Abear, and we're talking about the GRACE program today, which stands for Guiding Recovery and Creating Empowerment. It's a program that provides non-judgmental support and resources to these women who need help with substance misuse during pregnancy. That could be opioid, alcohol, tobacco. Uh, but Kristen Phillips is one of the nurses who helps to ensure that these women and their babies have the best care possible through pregnancy and up to six weeks after birth. Thank you not only for being here today for this podcast, Kristen, but for what you do. I mean, I was so touched in preparing for this interview and so touched by the lives that you help to change on a daily basis. So thank you. Thanks for having me this morning. And you've been doing this for how long with the Grace Program? A little over a year now. But you were a labor and delivery nurse before then? For over 12 years, yes. And and this program started in 2018. Correct. And why did it start? What was the need that was portrayed to Women's Hospital? Uh, how great was it at that time? Oh, well, the GRACE program started or was created to help reduce the effects of these um, pregnant women that were misusing substances um, to keep them safe and their newborn safe. Um, when they got this program to, to begin with, um, it was a grant-funded program. So it just dealt with opioid addiction specifically. Um, and there was only, I want to say, a few throughout United States, nothing in Louisiana that had a program like this. So I think they wanted to really focus on the community and help these people and give them the resources that they needed. And I read from ACOG that the numbers were drastically increasing. This was their last report was several years ago. Now, what have been the trends in the in recent years since this program started, not only locally, but nationwide with addiction and pregnancy? Right. The rates with opioid addiction alone are continuing, you know, to go on the incline instead of decrease. So we want to have these resources. And unfortunately, we don't have a whole lot that want to um, support or help the pregnant women because the liability. Um, so the resources that we do have locally in the state of Louisiana, we try to give to these pregnant women um, when they come to us. You know, Kristen, before we go any further, I really, I was so touched by some of these interviews uh, with these women that Women's Hospital had produced. Um, I was touched by their stories. And I really, instead of quoting one of the women, I wanted to play a part of her answers as, as you guys were able to, to document that in that time. Uh, because I want anybody who's listening to really feel 
their emotions and where they're coming from so that maybe they can be in a different perspective if they're not experiencing this problem on their own, but maybe they are in someone's life who's experiencing this problem. So this is Desi, and you know Desi pretty yes, well. Yes, I worked with her Desi. very closely. Okay, so this is what she had to say. At age nine, I started using, and the drugs have been a part of my life for as far as, far back as I can remember, and it was my normal. Both of my parents used, everyone around me used, so that's kind of what I was taught was you know, that it's okay to use. And I realized that I didn't want to be that kind of mother to my children and that I had some serious life changes that I had to go through. I had to listen to that over to make sure I heard that correctly. Nine years old. And I'm tearing up, honestly, listening to that again. And I've listened to it several Mm -hmm. times. I was talking to my husband about it last night. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we do these podcasts so that we can understand different people's situations better and therefore provide more help to to anyone who needs it. Um, What do you think now that you know Desi in listening back on her experience throughout life and how she arrived at this program? Um, So Desi and I worked very closely when I started um, in the GRACE program. She was one of my first patients. And just working with her and listening to her story, how she grew up, and that's all she known, um, and where she's at today – and getting through the recovery, she wanted her kids. She wanted, you know, her family back. She wanted her life back. She wanted to be healthy, and she was so motivated. Um, Desi worked very hard. She was able to get her two-year-old at the time back in her custody through her recovery. Um, she graduated the program. She had her healthy little boy, and she did amazing. When you talk about getting custody back, I can't imagine suffering through this problem that makes you feel out of control and in a way you are out of control and losing what is arguably the most important thing in your life, your child. Mm -hmm. Um, And that speaks to maybe why women are hesitant to get help. Do you find that? Um, Many of my patients that I've worked with over the year um, come in scared They don't want to lose their kids. They don't even want to be using. Um, It's a control that they, a control that they have to use to feel a certain way and not be sick um, just to get from day to day. So when they come to me, almost every single one of them are scared to stop, scared to say anything, scared to get help, um, scared to lose their kids. It's a constant battle that these patients, these women are fighting. So you guys, since you started in 2018, uh, and this is March of 2022, we're recording this, um, you've helped nearly 200 pregnant women, which means they're babies too. So Mm -hmm. probably about 400 people now that you've directly impacted the lives. What percent would you say are sort of born or raised into this drug culture or addictive culture like Desi? Um, It's a lot more than what you would imagine, Um, but there are the patients that I've come across um, that do start using because they had surgery or because they got introduced in college, um, you know, by pain pills, and it's escalated from there. But most of them come from trauma um, childhoods where their parents were either using or um, had some other mental health, you know, disability that caused these kids to 
grow up in an environment the way they did. Mm -hmm. And usually when they come to you, do they feel like no one understands why they can quit? Oh, absolutely. Um, Just being a nurse on labor and delivery, my patients um, that had substance misuse through the pregnancy I can tell you right now, I've always, you know, thought when I was a nurse over there, why are they using, why are they harming the baby? Why can't they just stop for the pregnancy and, Mm. you know, go back to it after, give their baby up for adoption. So you constantly have a mindset when you're not in it and you don't know their backstory. Um, They were on labor and delivery for such a short period. So you didn't have that relationship with these patients. All you got was what they were using and why. And then you had the baby being born and you had to watch the withdrawals um, afterwards. Can can you speak to the body's response a little bit to that now that you know a different side of it? Because I think your first reaction of a pregnant woman who is addicted to anything is very similar to what I may have may have felt in life and what many of us feel. Um, that it's such a shame for the baby, right? And mm-hmm. we don't understand what's happening to the body physically if you have not experienced a household that has suffered from addiction. So can you speak to that a little bit? How does it work, the addiction itself? Why are you not in control? So they, um, they're they physically in pain if they stop using. Um, they can't go, you know, most of my patients that I've worked with cannot go but a few hours before they have to use something else. So they're constantly in the withdrawal um, phase. If they stop, they're sick. They can't get out of bed. They don't want to eat. They don't want to go anywhere. Um, And it becomes a depression piece too. Um, So a lot of them are just physically sick when they try to stop. So what we try to do is support them, encourage them to get on medical assisted treatment so that they are managed throughout the pregnancy and they're not physically in pain, um, you know, while they're growing this newborn, this baby inside of them. Do you find that a lot of them got pregnant on purpose or because if they had this problem, they feel like they don't want to bring a baby into this world while they are suffering from this condition. Uh, do you find that they intentionally get pregnant or no, is no, it? Absolutely not. No, no. Most of the time they, um, they didn't know they were pregnant. So it's, you know, a little ways down the road when they finally realize that they're pregnant and that's why they're trying to come in and get help and they're scared of what it's going to do to their baby. They don't want their baby to withdraw when they um, deliver, and they're fearful. So tell us about the process when someone comes in. From the day they walk through the door or call you, what happens, and how long do you hold their hand through their life? So um, the referrals can happen through the assessment center um, by the patient just picking up the phone and calling me um, through providers. It can be somebody in Shreveport or New Orleans or here in Baton Rouge. It's all over the state of Louisiana. So once we get contact with the patient, um, whether them walking through the door or me meeting them in the assessment center or on the phone, we get some basic information. We set up an appointment. They only have to come in one time for that initial appointment to sign consents for the program, sign release release of information. And then I do like a complete like history and assessment on them, try to meet them where they are. 
um, support them with their decision maybe if they want to go inpatient or outpatient. And we just kind of sit down for about an hour and go through their needs and wants and kind of get a really detailed history of how it all started um, to be able to help them the best way that I can. So at that point, um, we first of all want them to have OB care. So we need prenatal care. So if they don't have a doctor already at that point, I'll set them up with OB provider, whether it's here at Women's Hospital or at the General or Oshner. Um, and then we, you know, research where they want to go for treatment. Um, we encourage them to get on the medical assisted treatment, like I spoke about, instead of just detoxing and not being on anything, just because it's um, less chance of them relapsing throughout the pregnancy and it's managed with the medication. So again, that they're not physically in pain and they're not wanting to go use something. And then um, we'll do that throughout the pregnancy. So I'll call them once a week. Um, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. It just depends on the patient. And then we follow them up until six weeks postpartum. So what is the success rate, would you say, of the program? Um, well, we've had 281 referrals since 2018. Um, 181 have totally enrolled into the program. And then we've had 91 graduates of, as of today. So it's pretty high. Um, and then the average hospital length of stay is two days less for the GRACE participants. And 80% of our patients that um, were in the program were involved in a substance use treatment program. And how long do, do you stay with the patient, with the mother, um, postpartum? How long after do you continue to see her and maybe even during potential relapses? How often is that a problem? Right now we go up to six weeks postpartum. Um, so at that point we'll do like a graduation at the six week visit at their OB doctor. Um, so again, it depends on the patient after they deliver how much they need or how little they need. Um, I kind of leave it up to them and, Normally I'll call once a week, but if they're needing me to call them twice a week or if they start reaching out and calling me, I kind of pick up on their needs and individually meet them. Gosh, Kristen, addiction has been a problem for generations. And obviously women have had babies since mankind was created. <laughs> and this program here just started in 2018. And I find it so hard to believe that it's one of the few in the nation. Why do you think that is? seems like every hospital should have a program like this. I agree. I agree. Um, I wish I could answer that because it's really hard when I'm trying to help, you know, my patients get into treatment and you call one place and they're like, oh no, we don't see pregnant women, you know, call this place. And it kind of leads you down a road and you're, I'm sitting there wondering like, why isn't there more, you know, resources out there for pregnant you know, women with this problem, it seems like it would be an easy fix, but I think everyone's just scared to treat pregnant women mm -hmm. with, you know, a baby that they don't, they can't monitor. Lack of resources, but a lot of judgment. Yes. <laughs> and if we provided more resources and more assistance, maybe there would, there, there seems like with the success rate, there would be much less of a problem. Mm -hmm. So for women listening who may be suffering in silence and afraid to say anything. What if some of that fear comes from the cost? Can you talk about what it costs them 
if they don't have insurance in particular? Um, for the program itself, the program is free. So we don't um, bill or charge the patients for anything. So all of this is free. They can call as much as they need. I can see them in doctor's visits as much as they need. Um, in the hospital, everything is completely free. And it's all, you know, based on care coordination, getting them treatment throughout the um, the process where they are in recovery and just healthy mom and healthy baby is what we want. You mentioned it started as grant funded in 2018 for opioid addiction. What other addictions or do you cover all of them? And is it still funded? Is it completely funded? It, the grant is over. Um, so we are basically, you know, just helping these moms um, for free. We did just add alcohol and tobacco addictions to the program along with opioid. And it's at any point throughout their pregnancy. So it, they could come in at six weeks to me or they can come in at 36 weeks um, wanting the support and, you know, care coordination. They could have a history of it and not currently be using. They can be in treatment and still join the program. When a patient comes in, do they have to worry about privacy issues or are they sometimes worried that word may get out in particular, maybe if they have other children and maybe they are, you mentioned a custody battle already, uh, maybe they're worried about their other children who are already born and losing custody of them. What kind of privacy assurance can they get? Um, they are protected by the 42 CFR. So when they come in initially to sign consents, that's part of the program agreement. Um, it's similar to HIPAA, but it's specific to substance use disorder. So I cannot call anybody, no family members or providers or treatment facilities that they go to unless the patient signs a release of information. Um, so they are completely protected. Nobody can call me and ask questions unless the patient again signs the release. On the other side of that, if there are other siblings that you feel are in danger, um, what kind of position does that put you in? What are you able to do, if anything? Are you able to successfully um, maybe help them to make the decisions to get the proper care for the other siblings? I can't pick up the phone and call DCFS. Um, I'm not you know, required to do that just by sitting down and talking to the patient. I do encourage the patient to have some support, um, you know, outside of the hospital, whether it's a friend or a family member, and encourage her to know when she needs to tell that support person that, you know, they need to help her and help the kids or take care of them. What if someone is listening and they're, whoever's listening is not pregnant, but they know someone who's pregnant suffering from addiction, is it possible to call on their behalf, get information on their behalf, and maybe even enroll them or, um, I guess, as far as take them in to the program themselves? Um, a family member or a friend can call and get information about the program. I can't enroll the patient um, without the patient's consent. It has to be the patient's decision, and they have to want it. Um, but I do encourage that person that's calling and reaching out. I give them all my information and tell them where to go, where I'm located. If that one day the patient decides that she wants the help and that support, um, member can come and bring them in or call with them. Is there ever the chance to facilitate some sort of intervention in that case? Or do you not, do you not do that at all? No, I don't do yeah, that. Yeah. You just have to tend to the patient when the patient calls themselves. Yes. Yeah. What percentage would you say of 
the patients who come out, the moms who, who give birth have unfortunate problems with the babies, which how, how are the babies generally when they are born to these mothers? After, so usually I do talk to the patients with this when they come in for that initial um, assessment, depending on how the patient is um, during our time together. But we discuss the now, so it's the neonatal opioid withdrawal syndrome. So at, after delivery, they will start um, watching the baby for withdrawal. So shaking, diarrhea, watery eyes, um, sneezing, coughing excessively. The nurses um, are doing this every three hours. Um, usually they will have to take them to the NICU and have a little bit more one-on-one um, care there and get treated up there with the medication-assisted treatment that they use. Um, a lot of them, even if they're on medication-assisted treatment already, like in recovery, some of them are still withdrawing from those um, medications. So it's not just the opioids that they're coming in on. Um, so it really is an eye-opening um, seeing just to see these babies go through what they're experiencing. And that's what makes them want to get help and treatment because they know what they're going through and they don't want their babies going through it. Yeah. What, what percentage of the moms do you say either during their pregnancy or after childbirth relapse that you know of? I don't know that answer. Is it pretty common? It's, um, I think relapse is part of the whole addiction process. So yes, I mean, it could be common once they leave the hospital and their babies, you know, somewhere, but then they're also not wanting to lose their baby as well. So that's a good motivation and a good goal to keep on their shoulders and in their head to try to stay clean. Yeah. I know that this program is specific to residents of Baton Rouge, or maybe they're coming in regionally, but the program is based in Baton Rouge. Mm -hmm. Do you guys have any uh, talks about maybe uh, some sort of online assistance, or if someone's listening to this and they're not in the Baton Rouge area and there are not very many other options across the country, mm -hmm. do you talk about how you can expand your reach at all, whether it be virtually or through connecting patients to resources or through talking to other hospitals and modeling what maybe should be done across the country? Um, not specifically anything that I know of being talked with with that, but um, I do talk to other hospitals and other providers in different cities. Um, and so we tried, I try at least once a month to call these same um, providers and hospitals that I reach out to and can get somebody to provide the resources that I know are in their specific area. So if they do go into the ER over there and they're pregnant and they're wanting to get help, I give them the information that is um, open over there. And if the patient is willing to drive, I've had patients drive two or three hours to come see me, um, just to enroll and have that support over the phone. And I never see them again. It's all on the phone. Um, so we do try to keep it that way, but I don't know anything that we're doing virtual or online as of, you know, right now. What, what is the future for the program here at, at Women's? Well, I'm hoping that we can add some more substances to the program here soon to be able to help more pregnant women that need these resources out there. Are you having to turn some away who are, what do you, what, what other substances in particular? Um, we have a lot of poly substance use um, with my patients that I see. So a lot of methamphetamine or um, amphetamine, cocaine, um, marijuana is a big one. So if we can get 
some of these other, you know, substances that aren't using opioids or tobacco or alcohol, and they just have those other ones, it might be a little boost with helping these patients through their pregnancy. And so some of these women come in and do you have to turn them away because it's not covered in the program? Not necessarily. I just give them the resources that are out there that I know of that can help them. I just give them the number and the facility name and they can call. So we heard from Desi already. And like I said, I just felt that these interviews were so emotional and these women were so vulnerable to share their stories. And we're so grateful because it really gives you an insight uh, to how they come, how they arrive to these problems, how much they're suffering, how much they need help, and the babies need the help too. But I, I want to play a clip from Courtney when she describes what this program did for her. By the grace of God, she came out, and after 72 hours, we were released, and she showed no signs or symptoms of withdrawal or detox. So I feel truly blessed, and I know I couldn't have done that without the Grace Program or my, my treatment. If I would have thought about where I would be a, a year ago from now, like I would have never, I would have never saw myself with another chance of being a mother, um, being sober and just living my life like I'm actually living. I'm not just alive, and I get to see her live and bring forth life, and that's just awesome. I mean, it saved my life, really, and it gave my child life. Like, I don't know that I could have went through my pregnancy and her survived it if I would have stayed doing what I was doing. And that was Courtney who became an addict through pain prescription, pain pill prescriptions. She was addicted to opioids uh, as a result of a surgery that she had. After surgery, the doctor gave her pain medicine, and you alluded to this, how common it is. She had no idea she was an addict because it was a prescription from a doctor. And then that led to her needing, needing it. And as you said, she, she ended up turning to heroin because it was cheaper. She felt like she could get the same effects from heroin for less money is the way she described it. And then she said it was over after that. Um, so you can really see how this can affect someone's life from a very uh, innocent place, how it starts. Mm -hmm. So when we're listening to that, we're listening to that description of what the Grace Program did for her. What goes through your mind with how you spend your working day every day and your purpose here on earth? I mean, it's just, it's amazing feeling to be able to help somebody when they're asking for help and they're wanting it um, for not just themselves, but for their baby also. Um, so it's very rewarding to be able to, even if it's just one person once a week um, or once a day, um, it's very just eye-opening and rewarding to be able to help these women. Any last words of encouragement for someone listening who may be addicted or may know someone who's addicted and pregnant. Yeah, I would just really encourage you to um, find the strength to pick up the phone or talk to your provider in wanting to get the help. Um, know that we're not here to judge or to look down on you because of what you're doing to yourself or your baby. We're wanting to help you. We want you to be healthy, want the baby to be healthy, and you to be able to have a the life to live and want your baby to live, like Courtney said. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thanks I'm for having just me. Just so touching. Thank you so much for what you do 
for these women. And for more information, the website is womans.org slash grace. Yes. All right. Womans.org slash grace. And we hope to expand the program and we hope that this becomes a model program for other hospitals all over the United States and maybe the world. Yes. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Unprivate Parts. Be sure to follow Woman's Hospital on social media and follow us in your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. Thank you for listening.